Once again, welcome back. This is The Lives of Writers. Thanks for listening. I am the publisher of Autofocus Books and producer of this podcast, Michael Wheaton. Today's episode of The Lives of Writers is hosted by Jeff Alessandrelli. Jeff Alessandrelli is the author of several books, including the poetry collection Fur Not Light. His novel, And Yet, is being reissued this year by Future Tense Books. He is also the director and co-editor of the Small Presses, Phonograph Editions, and Bunny Press. Coming up very soon, you'll hear Jeff in conversation with me. In addition to publishing autofocus books and producing this podcast, I am also the author of the essay Home Movies, which is out now from Bunny Press. My writing has appeared in Essay Daily, Diagram, Borough Press Review, Rejection Letters, Had, and other online journals. All right, let's get to it. This is Jeff Allison Charlie's conversation with me. I guess it's kind of weird because I've I've done this interview to people for so many times, so it's like I, in some ways I, I can't anticipate what's going to be asked, but I've tried so hard not to think about it. So that it's just kind of natural well, with you. I mean, yeah, roles are reversed. Like, so you're used to this, but where, where, where are you right where, now? Where am I? So I'm in, I'm in my office in my house, which is in Orlando, Florida, and the office is, it's a shared office. I share it with Amy, who many people who follow Autofocus would know. Amy does our illustrations and design, and did my book cover and for for Bunny. Um, you know, we share this office. At one point, it was our first child's room I think that it was like our the, both the kids room and then we moved them and now we yeah we have this office this is where I do the interviews and stuff like that yeah and I I live in Orlando Florida this is it I'm I don't know how long I'm going to be here it's a kind of a weird time to be talking because I think anyone who's read home movies knows I have a, a weird relationship with Florida and whether I, I want to be here or where I want to be but it is kind of a weird time because in some sense, like I could be here for a lot longer, I think, depending on what happens over the next year with um, like day job and what I'm going to do or not do and um, relocating and how and if we're going to do that. But yeah, it's it's kind of a an uncertain time. And so therefore, it's kind of an exciting time. There's a lot of like fear, but a lot of excitement. And it's also a strange time because I've you know been writing for a long time and have never had like a book out you know and then we have this personal work and I've never had to kind of figure out the boundaries of writing something and not really anyone knowing I'm writing it like people who know me like in my regular life and then to all of a sudden like me being a little more public about it because this book exists and and these people will are buying it like people I know and, and reading it or, or say saying they're going to read it and so it's it's kind of like a a weird time in my life where like these kind of worlds are converging and it's not like life-changing right it's not like a big huge thing but it is coinciding with this time in my life where my life does seem to be changing so it's all very I don't know it's it's cool but I like a part of me is like if I'm still in this room in a year I'm gonna be a little disappointed that my life didn't actually change the way it's <laughs> it, I mean physically change like the location of it you know um, or it could I could be in a very different situation with my family or like my work uh, I don't know so that's where I am now yeah 
So physically, you're one place, but mentally, you're someplace else. <laughs> mentally, I'm I'm not sure. Like I'm in this other place in my fantasy of what it's going to be like if we go where we're, you know. But why do you want to go to the place where you want to go? Part of it's like I grew up in the area, but I didn't grow up in that area. My mom's still uh, in the area about where I grew up, so we'd be close, closer to her. I've always just wanted to live kind of back in the Northeast. It's just something about, cause I grew up there and I, I left when I was 18 and I, I, I kind of, I wanted to leave. I didn't necessarily want to want to want to go to Florida, but, but I did. Um, and then it was always just like, I was just gonna, it was just always certain I was gonna go back. And there was like, one time I did, I went somewhere else and then I went back and then I was like, I'm never going back to Florida. And then I went back to Florida, right? And then I started my family, <laughs> my family here. I started a, a career here. Um, and it's like, okay, this is just where I am. Um, it's not a bad place. I mean, I, I do love a lot about where, where I live. It's not really that it's just, it's, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm wearing somebody else's clothes. I don't know if that makes sense. I just, this life I've had here, I'm so grateful for it. Like, but I, f I don't, it's like, I'm not, I haven't outgrown it. I don't like, it's not, maybe I have, but not in like a, not in like a e egotistical way. I just mean like, it just doesn't feel like the place where my future is going to take place. Like it just, it just feels like I'm living in a museum of like my life's choices, which is fine. I mean, that's all of us, but I just, and maybe it's a stupid thing that I've always had. I just always feel like there's just something else that I want my life to be or that I want my kid's life to be, or I just, I just have a different dream. And this is a great life, but it's just not, it's just not it for me anymore. It's strange to say, cause I feel like such an asshole, like, oh, this is life isn't good enough. It is, but I just feel like there's more. I don't know. When you say you feel like an asshole, what, like that you're um, essentially like turning your back on something or why would you, if you, why do you feel like an asshole? I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like if I look around at my life, like I have a lot to be grateful for. Sure. And my life is set up here. Like, I, I know where my kids' karate class is. Like, I, I, my, the kids' school is across the street. If we stay, like, both my kids will be in that school. Um, I have family close by. I have really good friends. I have a literary community here. Like, I should be grateful, and I should be happy to spend the next 20 years at my teaching job, you know, with tenure. At, at the community college, like, people would slit my throat to have the job I have, and I'm just, like, willing to just walk away from it. You know, like, wow. I just I just feel like... Cause there's a privilege associated with that, right? To, to walk away from it. But like, I'm in a lot of debt, like <laughs> as part of, I mean, I'm not gonna go in like into it a lot, but like a part of moving would be financial cause we own our house and sure. we can sell it and change our lives, <laughs> you know? But um, I just, I think it's it's just very like me to do something like this. I'm, I'm, so, I'm very suspicious of my instinct or my desire to do this. Cause I've done things like this where a big move or like a, it's almost like you could set a watch by, oh, I'm going to take a risk with my life. Like a calculated like risk that maybe isn't a huge risk, but in my mind is a big risk. You could almost, you know, it's like, oh, here, here, here we go. <laughs> Michael's going to do something stupid. You well, know, um, see, but <laughs> it's not like I, I mean, I have a friend who recently got tenure at his university and all, you know, honestly, right when he got it, he's talked about repeatedly 
um, in a semi-serious manner about how he wants to quit and move back to his hometown. Um, you know, there's another friend or I mean, maybe like a friend of a friend who was tenured MFA to a tenure to got tenure and taught an MFA program at a public university, but a, you know, a good well-known one and then quit and moved on. And, you know, I, I did not have tenure, but I had a tenure track job at a small liberal arts college for two years. Um, and I quit and kind of moved on. And I think all those things come from privilege too, but I mean, being in academia, it's basically like you get this and then you are happy about it. And then some years down the line, you retire and then you die. You know, I mean, and <laughs> yeah. for people who are fundamentally restless and maybe that's embedded in within that privilege, you know, and you have kids, which I don't have, like, I don't know. I mean, what's your do you feel like you're a restless person or I mean, because putting in 10 years at a place at a school, that is a while. I do. Part of me does feel like a, a good teacher gets like a really good 10 years <laughs> or like a good, a really good seven and then a good 10. And I do feel a part of it is like, I'm not that good at it anymore. Or like I'm fossilizing in some ways or like, I don't really know how to teach to this moment mm -hmm. with media. Why do you think that? Because I don't think I understand. I mean, in my books, kind of about this. Like, I don't think I really understand reality or like, I just have a hard time telling or working with students to understand how to sort out media in their lives or like how to read it and understand it because I struggle with it myself. Like I think I do a good job with it, but I can I feel how much I fail and struggle with it while I'm doing a good job. And like, I just don't know what to say to people anymore. I'm also in Florida, so you can't say political things either. Not that I'm like dying to like have kids yell at me or whatever, but like um, it just feels bad I, I it's 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 i i do love to teach i could see myself continuing to teach or teaching somewhere else or teaching a different subject but it just feels like a little futile i know it's not and it's like a like it's a bad feeling or like i'm focusing on the negative or whatever but i just i really felt like i had seven years where i, I really did think i was an incredible teacher for like seven years mm -hmm. and the last few i felt like and you know we all dealt with the pandemic pandemic so i felt like a a good a, an okay one a good one now i feel like kind of i just feel like i'm phoning it in and mm -hmm. i feel like phoning it in i do a pretty good job like to be i do a pretty good job i'd probably do a better job than some, <laughs> some of the other people there and being an asshole sure but but it just doesn't feel good and unfortunately the things that i i do feel good about doing don't really make me money right but <laughs> but um but i just I, I don't know i just feel like i i feel like i could do something else or try sure. to before I do this for the next 20 years, you know. How long were you teaching for before you started autofocus? Uh, I started, I went full time in 14 uh, and I started autofocus in 20. So six, seven years because okay. I was teaching a little bit before that. Now, prior to starting autofocus, what was your relationship, I guess, with presses and kind of i guess literature generally um so i had so i did like a low res mfa uh, actually at? actually close to you in forest grove at, uh pacific university okay in nonfiction. no it was in fiction okay 
uh, and like I had a, 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 a few really good friends from that and then, you know, plenty of acquaintances. So I think it was the first taste of like really a community. Uh, it's not maybe worth the cost of admission. I'm still <laughs> paying, um, but that was a big first taste of community. And then around the time I was like finishing there, I kind of found community here uh, in Orlando, particularly through um, what Ryan Revis and, and Borough Press were doing generating like events and reading series and uh, had an online journal, did books. Um, and that was a, like maybe my first taste of like people I know, like a friend, like doing a small press or like really doing something. And it was very inspiring. Like I did. Um, and also just like meeting people in my town and other writers and just making friends who are writers. Cause it felt like you had to go to school for that, you know? And then I was like, Oh, it was right here. Um, yeah. So I did like, I did like some video work, uh, for him. And I, you know, I quite honestly, I don't think I would have had the, um, I don't think I would have believed like, Oh, I could just start a press or, or like a lit mag and, and just do that. I, I think seeing, you know, Ryan's work there and just being friends with people in the community was like, Oh, you could do this and people could get, behind it and it it would feel good like just to do it despite what the outside saw or if they saw it um of course it was the pandemic when i started autofocus so the the community here wasn't really available so i just turned to the internet <laughs> i just went on the internet basically which i hadn't really i did a little bit like on on there and like looking around or watching but i didn't really participate um so that so it was just kind of like i just kind of jumped online and was like well let me just try to hop and find some people online, start a community with, there's already communities there. Mm -hmm. You know, why don't I see if anyone gives a shit <laughs> about what I'd like to do? And, and to my surprise, like I, partly, I think because it was a pandemic and everyone, you know, most people were online and starved for connection. It, it's kind of like a good time to meet people online. People were pretty open to hearing from you. If you something nice to say, or just gave a shit that anyone was there. Because Autofocus started out as an online journal and then morphed into books. Yeah, the plan honestly was books the whole time. It the was. journal and the podcast were just a way to get people to care <laughs> if and when I did a press. Um, or like to like to find authors who would actually even want to do it. So I like I know I have community here in Orlando. I don't know that I knew that many people who did the kind of work that I had become interested in. Like or maybe they had read it or a little bit or like tried it, but not really focused on it. Um, and like I said, my my MFA was in fiction, um, so it was I really didn't know <laughs> I didn't know that many people. So it was just kind of a way to find them, I think. And what work i mean i guess going back a little bit so what did your parents do growing up so let's see my mom was a, a principal secretary at an elementary school in a small town where we grew up in new jersey my dad ran a small business and had about i don't know like a hundred other like random things he did he had his business and i think he got i mean he did like, I think he did like drug and alcohol counseling. I think he might've been like a massage therapist on the side. He, like in his forties or so, got like his, uh, his like small plane pilot's license. And then eventually oh, was like running charter flights for people. And he would travel a lot and like do scuba diving. Like 
he was, he's just, you know, he was divorced. He divorced when I was like five. He divorced uh, your mom? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. And uh, yeah, he, I think he took his, his independence and self-development very seriously. Uh, he's, a, he's an interesting figure. We don't talk at all anymore. Oh. We have absolutely no relationship at all. Um, but he's a, he was a, yeah I mean he's a, he's a fig, he was a figure he's a very, he was an interesting guy uh, we cannot get along uh, huh. anymore probably we are very similar in certain ways uh, and in the ways we're not it's just seems to be a gap that is irreparable. Do do you have siblings? Yeah, I have two older brothers. And what do they do? Uh, one is in marketing and the other is in broadcast TV. Interesting. Yeah. So. You grew up though, like I, I, I think I said I might have, we've talked before. I mean, I was a literature major as an undergrad, um, and like a history minor, and I read in high school, and I knew my dad had a small business too, and worked for the power company. But then he also adjuncted. My mom was an elementary school teacher. I kind of had role models, even if latent role models, you know, for what. I wanted to do. And honestly, like even in like high school, I was like, I think I want to be like a college professor. And I really stayed on that route. Um, mm -hmm. You didn't, though. I mean, did you grow up in a bookish house? Because, you know, part of home movies is you were a musician or a musician. Well, well, again, I, I was like a, a, a TV junkie and eventually, I guess, tried to be a musician, I suppose. But I think you mentioned like your dad adjunct. My dad also adjuncted to another. Yeah. So <laughs> he was a teacher it. then. Yeah. Um, let's see. Did I grow up in a bookish household? I mean, yes and no. My mom was definitely my mom read like she was definitely someone who like read on weekends or like snow days. She would just spend the day reading. She mostly read like mainstream books, mysteries. Uh, things like that, but she was definitely someone who you would see reading and would encourage reading for me, but not like in an overhanded way or like what I was supposed to read. My dad was like when we were at his place, it would be common for him to be like in a room in a chair, or, like watching like stocks on TV and like studying out of a mm -hmm. book or something like that, studying for like a flight test or something like that. It wasn't the culture but it was there it was very normal and you know we would be watching tv my dad would like come in the room and be like read a fucking book like as it's like a joke you know he'd come in and like kind of razz us about it or something like that so it was i wouldn't call it a literary household but reading would would be normal but i liked books but i didn't care to read when i was little i liked the idea of them i liked holding them i liked classes where we were dealing with books um sometimes i'd like to read a book at home goosebumps was popular mm -hmm. my friends like goosebumps i'd read one of those goosebump books i liked matt christopher sports books but i wasn't like a bookworm i wasn't a huge reader i wasn't i don't think very precocious i largely wanted to do whatever my brothers did i largely wanted to play outside with my friends play sports outside play inside play video games watch tv together I was just on a, a Tyler Dempsey's podcast and we briefly talked about like I did piano lessons when I was really little. I asked for them. No one else I knew really did them, but I asked for them and my mom found someone in the neighborhood and got me lessons. But eventually I was just kind of like, I don't, there's no, I don't really know anyone doing it. I just wanted to be with the 
other kids. So I kind of quit that. I didn't really find music again until I was later as a teenager. Um, and, you know, there were a few little things where maybe a, something stood out in writing or in class, you know, or something like that. But I don't think I'll be a writer was normally kind of what I what I thought. I wanted definitely wanted to be a, like I wanted to be a comedian. I was kind of the kid in class who was talking a lot and cracking jokes while the teacher was trying to teach and I wasn't really hyperactive about it. Uh and sometimes I was pretty funny, so I got away with it <laughs> a lot, but I was like, "Oh, I I got attention that way, so I wanted to be a comedian." Or you know what I mean? Like I was into TV, so I could see myself, "Oh, I would love to be on TV or like make a movie or something like that." I don't think anyone would have been like, that's going to be a writer, <laughs> you know? You were you were influenced by media generally, but you weren't writing yeah. bad high school poetry about, like, Julie who sits two seats above you in, like... Yes, yes, but maybe, like, once or twice a year. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it was there, but I wasn't really going into it. I wasn't really... It was just something I would kind of do once in a while, but I wasn't willing to, like buy into it being i mean because it was i mean it wasn't good i think i knew it wasn't good <laughs> or, or any like it's just like oh it's just writing something down just to do it i don't know now but most musicians want to be writers and most writers want to be musicians um <laughs> or at least i found to some capacity um that's interesting and some writers are musicians and vice versa but when i mean when did you start because part of the book it talks about you were semi serious about your band and did kind of i guess it was how kind of music and art gets disseminated in like 21st century culture but i mean how did you get serious as a musician so i think okay well i guess to go so i started picking it back up at like 16 but i wasn't very good i just played with some friends it wasn't really a, a thing and i thought at that time i would go to film school and that's partly why I came to Orlando, because I was going to do this two-year program, not like a, a regular school. And then while I was there, I ended up deciding just to do a, a AA degree, just like an Associates of Arts two-year general studies degree. And then I ended up doing like a four-year school and switching to be an English major. So there was a, a change that happened there. But I also at that same time got really into like getting better at the guitar and practicing the guitar maybe when I was like 19. And then in a, a few years, I had gotten pretty good. I mean, it wasn't great. It was like pretty good um, at playing like riff rock, like that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I was finishing like undergrad. I would have liked to be a writer too, but I really felt like I don't really know anything. Like I'm just, you know, 21 or 22 or whatever. And what I'm, I felt like what I really had to offer, what I was really passionate about was like music, rock music, uh, jazz music, or prog rock music. Who specifically were you interested in? Who were your favorite? Who was I into? Like, I was like really into classic rock. Okay. So like Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, The Beatles, which I mentioned, I kind of, I kind of in the book, uh, composite a few bands into The Beatles, but like um, Rush, uh, King Crimson, like. Okay. Proggy slash riff rock, very 70s, like late 60s, 70s kind of stuff I was really into. Um, and just playing that shit at bars. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I was I was really into that. This um, is in Orlando. 
Yeah. And this, I think there's just a part of me that's like, whatever I'm like super into is like, I just want to make my life about it because whatever I'm doing, it, it just, it just feels like it's my whole life. Yeah. Like I just, I can't do things halfway. And I just would have given my whole life, I think at, at that time to be like a touring musician and to like whatever my ideal of that life would have been or was like on the road or writing songs, being in the studio a lot, you know, but you did write your own original music. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, um, stuff like a lot that. of people at that age, that's the goal. You yeah, know? like I think when you're young, it's like music makes more sense, and then when you're older, it's like hard to. I think Mike Nagel kind of talks about this. It's like, it's like harder to justify, <laughs> and then when you're older, like writing makes more sense, and when you're younger, it's slightly like harder to justify. But yeah, I think I would. Yeah, I would have wanted that life, and then I, I barely got a taste of it barely got a taste of it like we moved away together we did like a few like regional dates we did like a week-long tour once like and then what was the name of your band i don't want it <laughs> what okay. is it's um it was called i don't you don't have to. okay um uh, maybe it's i'll reveal it. maybe i'll reveal <laughs> it later in the conversation for people to stick, <laughs> stick around but um so why is but, it a source okay. of shame now i don't it's not a source of shame. I don't know. I mean, the band. Okay, the band was called the band was called Open Windows. We we did like an album. I think you probably find a couple of YouTube videos in the studio or something like that. Um, there's still some traces of around. It's. I'm not. I hope I'm not painting the picture in the book or in real life that it was some big fucking deal. It was very much not. No, but you're self-deprecating um, and, when you're. Yeah. But I did. But the little taste. The little taste I got of it. I was like, I'm not built for that life. And. Like best case scenario is I struggle in the way I struggled for like a week and that was my life. Like that would just be hell. I need I think I'm just I need I'm just a cushier dude. Well, than why? Like I just I just am because like, Tory? I think we're just like the uncertainty or like the squalor of it. I guess the way that we lived, I think maybe. We we you know. At one point we had a four bedroom house, we had like eight people in it. Sure. It it was, you know. It was that kind of life. And I think in my idealized version of like being a 70s rock guy, like that's the idealized version of your life. You live in a house with eight people and you make music all the time and you work part time jobs and you suffer like that's that's the that's the deal. And it sounded great. <laughs> you know, uh, it didn't sound great, but you know what I mean? And yeah, I just the little taste of it I got. I, I think I think it's pretty obvious. I'm a very collaborative person. I love to work with people. I also love to work alone and I love to choose what I'm collaborative and when I'm social, but left to my own devices, I will stay in this house and I will chill, but more likely I will fucking work on something or like want to be working on right. something. Um, and I think like, I think I just quickly saw like whatever I idealized was not the reality of who I was. Like the person I really was, was not going to live in this fantasy of being whatever fantasy being a musician, rock musician was and being like an in indie bands and tour, touring or whatever. It's like whatever that that fantasy was, was it was not going to mesh with who I actually am. It would not have been good for me. It would have not have been good for the, the band people I was living with, anyone who was in a relationship for me. I think I think I was lucky and maybe smart to figure that out sooner into it. I mean, I wasn't that soon into it, but sooner into it maybe than I than I could have. How long did you do it for? Like 
I'm in full board. Uh, you know, probably not that long in retrospect. Maybe just like three years. But three years when you're young is like 10 years. Yeah, it seems like a really so, long fucking time, but it wasn't. And then yeah. when did you get your undergrad degree? 2008. So I was one of the, uh, the uh, was that the housing market? The, yeah. <laughs> the market collapse. Yeah. And I got out of college. I had got out of college with an English degree, not like I was going to do well anyway. But it was just like, okay, well, I might as well be in a band. I, I should put maybe that context on there. There was also that. It was like, what's the other option? Is it maybe I just fuck around for a few years before I take the teaching job or something? <laughs> you know, eventually, I just I oddly decided the safe thing was to spend way too much money on a low res MFA, which was, you know, whatever. But so after you graduated, and then. Um, when did the band like basically stop and you were like, what's next? Probably 11, 2011. So at that point, were you thinking about going to be a teacher or was the focus more writing? No, it was, it was like, I need a credential so I could teach at this college where I know I could get at least an adjuncting job in Orlando. Okay. That was why I came back after I had left. It was like, I can go and get an MFA from this low res program. And then once I have that, then I know this place will give me a job. And because I had I, I had uh, worked there for a while, I was like a tutor for three years. And but you needed a you needed a higher degree than a BA to teach there. I needed the masters. So it was just like the smart thing would be, I could go teach high school, or I could go get a masters and teach at the community college. And then I had a I had reason to believe I could excel there and go full time, and I did. Um, mostly because I knew the system very well. But yeah, I just, and so I just did that. Obviously there was also the writing too. Like I really did want to, I don't think that I would have done it if I couldn't have justified to myself or to other people that there was also a job at the end of it. Like I knew I could get a job mm -hmm. with it, um, even though it was a writing degree. Um, but in my mind, I took it very seriously though, as in, in terms of the writing. Like I think low res MFAs are like, you, you get out of it how seriously you, you take it or how seriously you put into it. I, I took it really seriously. And I went in there like, I'm not here to write a fucking book. Maybe I was like the first week, but very quickly was like, I'm not here to like write a book and sell it. I'm here to work with teachers who are going to give me their way of seeing literature and I'm going to try some shit. And then when I'm done, I'll figure it out for myself. It's kind of, and then I think ultimately it was what I did. And then I oddly, what I didn't expect was figuring out for myself meant switching genres <laughs> and working more in literary autobiography who prior to the mfa who were your favorite writers or who were you like reading a lot of gosh that's a good question it's almost hard to remember that far i think it would be more rudimentary things i think if you asked me then i would have said vonnegut i would have said salinger and then a bunch of random books I, you know, I, I don't think there were many authors where I read their catalog, sure. but I had read like one book by a ton of people, <laughs> but, but they were all like, like I said, like kind of the rudimentary college stuff. So, well, that's, I probably read like two or three Hemingways like, or something or like someone you would have read multiple books by because you came across them in school. But to my own devices, there weren't that many authors that I would be like, I was, I'm into that author. I'd be like into certain things. Um, and then... I think it was largely like that in MFA school too. I never really got into like one person. I just kind of like formed reading lists that were pretty, for lack of a better word, like diverse in terms of like genres or like style. 
and just like whatever I heard somebody say was good, I would read and figure out if I liked it or not. So I think I was very un, un I was purposefully like undirected with it. And it wasn't really until I switched genres that I started to like hone in on certain writers that I think I understood like why I liked them. And it was mostly maybe because nonfiction is so much more limiting. Like there's less for me to worry about. Like I can just, I think I could hit, hit the page more quickly and go. So it's like almost like knew more of what I wanted to accomplish because I had more limitations. Whereas in fiction with very little limitations, I don't think I ever truly for a very long time thought, oh, this is what I want to do with literature. Um, and then I think the more I had an idea, the more I was able to find writers. Like people I probably mentioned a million times, like David Shields or Amy Fusselman. Um, who else did I really like? Like Sarah Manguso's books, I'd read a bunch of at that time too, a bunch of other people. But who? Why did you choose that MFA program? <laughs> uh, one reason, they did not make you take the GRE. Okay. Another reason, it was close to Portland. And I wanted to go somewhere where I hadn't been or a city I didn't know. So that twice a year, I felt like I was going somewhere, like I was traveling. Mm -hmm. um, I had found in like the Atlantic, maybe, they were like in the top five for low res programs, which is a bullshit ranking anyway. No, they are good. I'm not, I'm not shitting on them. They're, I, they're, they're fine. They're good. But like, what's the difference between like five and 25 or like, like, how do you even quantify that? Because low res faculty are constantly changing, like nothing, right. and directors are constantly changing anyway. So I, it was very little. It was like, this seems like in a cool place. I think I heard maybe, uh, I don't, I think probably heard of a teacher maybe or something like that. Or I read the teachers and the, they seemed like they had good bios. I didn't really know anything. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't really know anything. I just see, it just seems like, it just seemed like a good one. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll throw an app out there. It was the only one I applied to. <laughs> oh, you, I was going to ask. That's the only place you applied to. Yeah, I just kind of threw a flyer out and then it came back and I had gotten in. It was like in an off, it was like in a spring semester. I actually turned it down because I thought I was going to, this is all coming back to me now. I forgot all about this. I was going to go to South Korea and teach for a year. I had signed a contract. Yeah. And then I, I changed my mind and then, and then I didn't go. Um, and then I reapplied and then got waitlisted at the same fucking program. And then I called them. I was like, hey, I was waitlisted. Thank you very much. I got in last semester. Do you think that there's a chance that this waitlist could work and I could just go on? Or like, could you just pretend I deferred? <laughs> and, then, and then they called me back like the next day. They were like, congratulations, you've been accepted. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, I don't know. It's a little ridiculous. Like, it's embarrassing, honestly. Well, it's but, not. You applied in it with a fiction portfolio. Yes. And then by the end, you were a nonfiction. You graduated with a nonfiction MFA. No, fiction MFA. Oh, and then I wrote graduate. fiction for several years after. I didn't really start writing. I mean, I f fucked around a little bit. It's not like I hadn't tried it. Like, And at the end of the MFA, you have to write a critical intro, which is like part memoir, part. And m my critical intro was like, light years better than my fucking fiction reading like that should have been a huge sign but and then for years i wrote fiction and then it probably wasn't until maybe like 2019 2018 2019 that i got really into the kind of stuff that i, I got really into um david shield which, which is yeah which is incidentally when i started the project that became home movies was like 
soon after that because I got into reading it. And then after like a year of reading it, I was like, well, let me just mess around with some stuff. Uh, and that was October 2019, I think, when I started the first version of what it turned into. And did your fiction, who did you work with fiction wise at University of Pacific? Uh, so a few, I actually, well, one person that you would know the name was Catherine Dunn. She's a Portland okay. person. She wrote sure, Geek Love. Yeah. Um, the other people were Pete Fromm, Mike Magnuson, and David Long. And did they push you into nonfiction? Were they like, this is interesting? Oh, they, they were. All, Catherine, actually, oddly, the one who was like the most fictiony of them was the one who showed me there's a path. We actually worked a little on non, not the kind of nonfiction I do, but like nonfiction you could get paid for. We kind of talked a bit about that and like how to get involved in like journalism and stuff like while you're writing fiction. Um, but yeah, nobody, nobody at all. Everyone, I was a very, I was more like a Catherine Dunn writer, not, not in the same league at all. But I mean, like, in the sense that it was like as imaginative as I could make it. It was like wacky premises and then oh. trying to put like an undergirding. It's the exact opposite of what I do now. Yes, that's... It's very strange. So do you remember the premises of any of those stories or did you write novels? <laughs> no, I, I, well, I tried to write a novel, but I, I, no. Um, just like, I think, oh God, it's so embarrassing. That's... It's too embarrassing. I well one well one idea I'll tell you because I actually one day I have an idea to spin it into an essay where I reflect on how embarrassing it was trying to write a book like this while I was a twenty something year old. But um, I was I was trying to write like an alternate telling of like Peter Pan, where like, but it was like a, it was like he was like a he was, it was like a surveillance story. Hmm on like Neverland and like people would like wash up on the shore there and like live this existence. They didn't really know where he was, but he'd be like surveilling everything and like manipulating things behind the scenes, to like make people do certain things that were kind of childish and they were all like snorting fairy dust. And it was kind of, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, you wrote anyway. this story? That was like, I tried to write that as a novel. I tried to write it oh. as like a long short story. It became like a four page story in my MFA or something. I don't even think I put it in my thesis, but but anyway, um, I was still very interested in the stories of Peter Pan um, and hmm. the kind of the lore of it. It's something I maybe want to engage with in an essay one day, but we'll see. So you got the degree, you got the job, in Orlando, or you got, I mean, at the school that you thought, and um, then you essentially really shifted tact. And is that by virtue of discovering some of these nonfiction authors that you hadn't really discovered in your MFA program? I think um, most of my breakthroughs artistically have come from mental breaks, <laughs> personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like something happened in my life that just changed me in some way or you know, I, I don't know, like I guess an, an obvious one to point to would be like parenthood. Right. Um, like I was you, still, when did you have your first child? 2017. Okay. Um, so that's a big deal. Yeah. So I think like, and then we had the, the, the other one was two, almost exactly two years uh, younger. And I, th you know, that was really hard. Um, and I think like, I just, it's hard to explain. It was hard. Why? Just raising a young child while trying to yeah, do your own stuff? Yeah. I mean, stuff? yeah. 
Well, yeah. just, I mean, just raising a child, period. Because um, mm -hmm. you don't, I mean, you just don't know anything. And it's all a crapshoot. And you will surprise yourself on the ways you are successful. And you will surprise yourself. I will surprise myself. I surprise myself on the ways that I fail. You know, like, um, it's just really hard. And also, yeah, like, I think also, like, having a full-time job, like, I do want to be an artist, like, um, and I started to, I was still kind of writing fiction. I was still figuring out, like, making in the time. I think I put together a, 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 maybe a, a short fiction manuscript or, or something even in that time. But I think I just, like, I think what I realized, I, I stopped being able to read it. Hmm. I would I would try to read novels or short stories and I just was not able to get through them. I was not able to be interested. Hmm. Um, some of that maybe is the timing with parenting. So it's just like the brain damage of being a parenting maybe, or, or I just, I was starting to feel like that in my MFA too though. So it was kind of like, it was coming. Um, but then I just decided to realize that was okay. And I, I, I kind of, when I tell the story, I usually tell the story like, I just assumed that I didn't like reading anymore. And that it was just something in my life, like anything else that I was really into for a while and made an identity out of and then changed. And I thought maybe that was true. Maybe it was just something that happened with parenthood that I was going to realize that I wasn't really a writer or wanted to be a writer. And or and maybe in the same way that I wasn't really a musician or, or, or wanted to be a musician. And by that, I mean, make a life, like have a life, like make it work. Uh, with jobs and stuff like that. Do you to, play to do guitar that. like recreationally now, like just for fun? Not anymore. Okay. Not Thanks anymore. So. Um, and Amy's an incredible singer songwriter, and and she play she plays more than me. Um, but she doesn't play that much either, partly because we have these other artistic right. in interests that we do now. But I do I do also think, um, what well, we did when they were little, we wanted to play with them all the time. They were not interested. They would actually ask us to stop. If like Amy was singing, and I've heard other parents talk about this too. They just like don't, the kid, our kids for whatever reason, and s some other kids like just don't, are not into you playing music to them. Sure. But when, it's, like, I guess, singing. I don't know. But, but I ask, cause when a thing is done for you, it can be done and you move on to the next thing. You don't necessarily kind of. Yeah. It's a, it's the same problem with my dad. I mean, that's why we don't talk, right? Like we, right. <laughs> we can make those divisions. But um, I try not to be, yeah, I try not to be so rigid. But I also, I think the me not like picking up a guitar all the time is more incidental to daily life. And um, like when my kids, if they take to it, like we, we it's not that we don't play at all. Like the kids sure. know we play. They're, they think it's like my, my older one now seemed, saw Amy played him some videos of me like playing. And he thinks it's like super cool. Like thought I was famous or something like that, <laughs> you know? And so I could see them being interested. And once they become interested, then I will probably get super into it again. Right. Uh, and so. probably Amy will too, because it'll be part of our life in the same way. I don't know anything about karate, but my kids go to karate and they're into it. So karate has become a huge part of my life. Right. And so if that interest changed to something that is also like music, then I feel like, I feel like it, it's not like it's gone away because music means the same to me as it used to, you know, it's still sure. so vital to my life. It's just, um, I think just like incidentally in this moment, other things have taken precedent. I'm like really looking forward to and hoping for when it becomes a part of my family's life more. I really think it will. It's just maybe that confidence about it has made me just kind of let it fall away a little bit.
but I'll, I'll be excited to kind of rediscover it a little bit too. And at a point where it's not like, this is my life or identity. Like it needed to cool off or something, you know, or like my attitude about it. Well, you have that capability though. And so it's there, I guess you're, it does seem like you have dividers though. I assume you don't write fiction now. Like that's kind not of at all. Kind of- I don't think it's possible. I could see a, a life in the future where I decide I want right. to write a novel. That's completely fiction. I could sure. see it, but not anywhere. I don't, not in the mind I'm in. Some people do meld a bunch of different things and you seem to do have more kind of heavier barricades, but you also have the capability to go back to things. But when you decided to be a publisher, that was your big kind of role for a while. And when we talked about this book, it seemed like even your your role as a writer was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm this now. Like I still write, That's but true. I don't write like that. That's true. I wasn't even going to do the book, right? I mean, I had just put it away. There was a time I was going to do it as a chap with someone. And then it was kind of like, it kind of went away. And then I was just like, well, I guess I'll just write a different project. It'll probably take me like four years, I guess. I don't know. And, you know, you were kind enough to be interested and ask what I had. Um, And I think I was just like, well, I mean, I I was going to do something with (laughs) with this, but I just, I don't know. Um, I mean, I wanted, I wanted, I mean, you know, I wanted someone to want it or to be interested, but like, like you said, like, it just, it wasn't how I was seeing myself, I guess. So it, like, I guess I was seeing myself more as a publisher. So it was, it was just, wasn't on my mind to, to be the thing that I was like, like hunting <laughs> a bad way to essentialize it. If that, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't hunting to get the well, book, even though I wanted, wanted it. I don't, you know what I mean? Like. I mean, I do know what you mean, because I'm a publisher as well. And like, I guess the big difference between us is I I had a chapbook press um, before I had published a book. And we did little books with well-known poets. I mean, you know, I was it was it was a poetry press. But like, so I always was interested in publishing. And I, I like to read as much as I like, well, probably more than I like to write. But like, I did for a good like six or seven years. I published books, I went around and I did readings and I was, I was, you know, I was, you know, like a lot of hungry young men, women, I guess non-binary folks. Like, I mean, I was ambitious. I mean, I kind of, I wasn't aware of my limitations, but I was like, I'm a writer. (laughs) And then even, you know, when I started my press phonograph editions, like we would put out a record a year and it was still, my, my writing was, I guess I was more focused on that. Now it's definitely shift shifted where I'm less interested. I don't submit to journals as much. I don't do those things, but like, I guess because I've kind of grown, um, you know, I guess with you, it was different. I mean, with me, it was like, I'm a writer and now I'm going to do this thing and I still write. Um, but it's, I'm, I'm less interested in myself. Whereas with you, you were a publisher and kind of before you had even jumped into being a writer, you had like not relegated yourself to that role, but you kind of, you were going full bore on it. Um, yeah. Well, I started, partly started autofocus because I think I just didn't, I mean, I was working on something, but I didn't really feel like maybe I was uncertain that I had anything to contribute. <laughs> like, right. You know, but, you know, and, and so... 
I, I just kind of like let it sit and like wait and see. But and then ultimately doing all the stuff with autofocus and the podcast, I think just made me better at my own work. And then at some point I started to be like, well, maybe I sold myself sh- a little short. Like maybe maybe there's a life where you're all of these things, <laughs> you know, and it's like maybe the way that I see myself in one narrow lens is like, you know, obviously an unhealthy, stupid way to see myself. <laughs> like I, there's there's no reason to hold myself to some like one identity of what, like what the thing I am is. Right? Sure. I mean, if, if I really thought that, then I'd be a teacher and a dad, right? Like that would be really be it. But obviously I, I do <laughs> see myself as more than one thing. I just have like a weird habit in my brain where like, it just doesn't seem like, it's like hard for me to make sense of it until I can like narrow it to this like thing. Like, oh, right. yeah, that's it, you know? Well, that makes sense too. And I mean, part of, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, you can do more than I think you give yourself credit for. Like, I guess in terms of uh, editing this podcast, um, putting together interiors for autofocus books, doing website design for autofocus, um, and then I guess being a writer yourself, like not everyone has all those things, frankly, in their kind of wheelhouse, as it were. Um, so, you know, when one thing does take precedence, I mean, I guess those other things fall by the wayside, but, you know, one of the things that I guess does come out in, in, in home movies is that you are pretty adept at a lot of different things. Um, whether I guess, like I said, you give yourself credit for them or not. I mean, you started writing this in 2019, and I guess I assume you're not like a daily writer. No, I wasn't able to be. I mean, at some yeah. points I have been, um, but not since I started Autofocus. Yeah, sure. And so, what was the early earlier iterations of this book like? More like uh, patchwork collage. And what I found, the way that I was trying to compose the book originally, I have found to just be my process. And if if that makes sense, like, which is like, I'm writing things kind of patchwork. Like, I'm not really trying to write the piece as I'm writing it. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to generate and figure out, like, think on what I'm, the, the, the ideas I'm thinking about, and then just try to write down things I remember or things I think, or maybe quotes I can remember and just kind of make like a, a patchwork. You know, and I drove for a long time. I just kept generating and generating and generating and deleting and moving around and moving around and moving around and moving around. And I thought I actually came up with some manuscripts that I thought were pretty good. I had a couple close calls with it. Um, Looking back at them now, I would not be very happy with them. I'm much (laughs) more glad that through it, I kind of learned maybe a way that I I work a little more. And then basically, like, and I just tried to make a manuscript work like that. And I think it is possible to make a manuscript work like that, not the one I was doing. Uh, and so I was able to just kind of like go back to these documents in different versions and pull things out that I really liked or that I felt after all these years still felt a twinge when I read it back. Like there was something there to me still. And then it was like, okay, but who am I now? What do I have to say now about these things I was writing about? Didn't totally understand and then start over. So I'd like basically open a document and things that I felt were related or that I wanted to take on in a piece. I just kind of stick these paragraphs in there. And then I might start with one. Usually I didn't, it'd be in the middle and I'd start create a new scene or scenario or situation, 
kind of approach it like fiction in that way. Like, where am I? It's a real thing that happened, but like, I am more thinking about like, how can I start this like a like a story that goes into, pulls out into an essay. But like, there's almost a scene. It's like a scene for a second, and then it's an essay. So you know, something like that. Not ever. I didn't do that with every essay, but something where like, and then I'd write into what I was writing about, and then force myself to say more. And I found that when I did home movies, I had a lot more to say about things that I didn't think I had more to say about. Um, and like now the stuff I'm working on now, it's kind of helped me because when I'm writing them, I'm not worried about, I know they're not in the form they're going to be in. Does that make sense? Like I'm just trying to understand what I'm writing about. And then the more I understand what I'm writing about, the part of my brain that knows how fiction works and CNA for essays work is just going to put it together <laughs> you know what i mean laborious. so it's, it's i feel like it's it's in the end it's almost like the only way i can make it work because when i tried to write pieces as pieces like when i did fiction i mean i do a lot of drafts now but i mean i i could never i can't i just it's never over it's never yeah. over for me i would i would get the piece right and i'd do 10 more revisions and then two years later i'd go back to that old version and be like wow that was way better than what I ended up with. And I spent a year on it. What the fuck was I doing? And I still, in a way, do that now, but it's more, I'm discovering the piece. You know what I mean? Like, or I'm just, and then when I feel like I understand it, then I can create a form for it. You know what I mean? Like, are you a perfectionist? The form has to match the content. I think so. I think so, but I've learned not to be. I I think I have been, but I've learned to get rid of that tendency, partly because I put myself in situations where I publicly didn't do something perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I had to get used to what that feels like. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but what's perfect to one person is imperfect to another. Right, 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 right. right. But I, mean, I do, I do think, yeah. But I have had to get over. The podcast has helped me with that too. Like, oh, I can't edit out me sounding like an idiot right there. Like, I just can't. Like, I can edit it out a lot of the time, but right. not every time, you know. And so, like, I but like know, a just... lot of writers, you're very self-critical, and when you hear yourself sounding like an idiot somebody else hears something completely different right isn't it true that like most things that people remember i have said i don't mean like from i mean like in my normal life like best friends or kids or or my spouse i never remember saying them and all the things i remember saying they never remember like there's you know it's like the most insignificant thing i say sometimes to someone is like the thing that sure so you know to your point but now with the book i mean you know, early cinema on tangibility, uh, upon watching an unboxing video of a writer, I don't follow on Twitter. So just different essay titles for it. Um, how did it kind of, you know, I mean, a lot of the books on media and a lot of it's, you know, you talked earlier about kind of how your relationship to media isn't what it once was, I guess, with age, I guess, with parenthood. Um, you know, in, in one of Office Hours, which is, I think, probably my favorite kind of essay in the collection, it talks about how your community college is in a part of Orlando called Lake Nona. Is that how you say it? TM. Yep. Yeah, that literally has a trademark. It does. Um, well, a, fu- a funny story. So I work at, it's called the Lake Nona campus. Uh-huh. And we made these shirts with my college on it. And on the side, it had the campus you were on. So the side said Lake Nona. And they had to buy patches that said Lake Nona Campus and put it over where it said Lake Nona and iron them onto the shirts before they gave them away because Lake Nona is trademarked. So the, 
And so we aren't allowed to call the campus Lake Nona. It has to be called Lake Nona Campus. And so it was a whole thing that legally Why they had is to it do trademarked? This. Why is because this Because it's 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 a it's a developed it's like a planned community. Uh you know there's a lot of them here. There's they're all, you know. It's owned um, by a company called Tavistock. I think I think that's what they're called. Um well I know that's what they're called if that's how you say it. Uh but they like a shit ton of money it's a it's a corporation and then they plan what this community is going to be like it's like just land they decide what businesses are going to go there where neighborhoods are going to go with like the neighborhoods will be like in a way like you don't really have to leave like you could get your shopping done in that neighborhood depending um there's um like they planned a, a middle school, which is right next to a high school. And then they put the community college where I work across the street from that. Like we're basically a funnel for dual enrollment stu students. And by the way, dual enrollment in Florida is a fucking nightmare. But anyway, um, but it's, it's every, everything is, a, it's corporate, it's all new, right? So like everything mm -hmm. that goes in has to pass Tavistock's test of like an acceptable business. It's like a, it's like a living in a neighborhood with an HOA, right? If you're a business. Right, because but it's like a you town. have to do, it's a town, yeah, and so, but they built like the most state-of-the-art medical facilities in here. So, like, people from all over the country will come here if they need like certain medical procedures, um, because they ha they have so much money funneling into these certain hospitals here. So they basically like, create this like hub where like doctors want to live and like people in the medical industry want to live, and where like young professionals starting a family with lots of money want to live, because it's in this like separate part of the city that's like its own area, but it's just like. It's almost like walking around in a large Disney world because it's all you see are like logos. But when I started working there, it was still being developed. Uh -huh. So just over the last 10 years, I've just watched it become what it was going to become. There was actually a time where I thought we were even going to like move into the madness because I, I, I worked there, but we did not. But um, yeah, it's a strange. But place. if I wanted to open a cool sandwich shop in this town and I had my own money, I couldn't do it necessarily. You probably couldn't. I mean, you you probably, I mean, sure, you probably could. You'd have to have the money to afford like the rent or whatever. And then the person who owns that building would have to be willing to have you. So they're more willing to have the corporate place because they, right. yeah, like they don't know who you are and they're the people who live there don't know who you are. So if you're going to open up a taco place, they'd rather have a Chipotle. Right. You know what I right. mean? That's and so they'd wild. rather get the Chipotle in there. That's, it just that's, has that's like what it is. There's lots of, there's lots of towns like that or oh, areas like that in Orlando. There's also like, this was just kind of like the newer one that was in its, in its own different kind of area. But no, it's, it's yeah. a, it's a relatively common thing. Um, yeah. That, that essay, by the way, a fun, fun fact uh, to speak to the process I was talking about. That was, that essay had, there were paragraphs in it, lots of paragraphs in it from the original project. I had taken a few projects out of that and made a short piece and got that published with like variant lit. And then I was like, I kind of like how that turned out, but I think there's something else I could do with that piece. And then I took three, two poo paragraphs about that and then wrote a new piece. And then that got published by Farewell Transmission. And then when I was going back into the book, I found out about that uh, battle at Narcusi Mill reenactment thing. That's like the whole point of the essay. And then I revised it to rewrite it with that being the center or the main thing about the essay. So that essay has gone through three published drafts, all based on an unpublished manuscript. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So it became yeah. oddly its longest version 
after I like discovered this thing about this piece that was right down the street that I didn't know about. It's so crazy to me that how that happened. But I agree, it's one of my favorite pieces in there, but it's been like four different things. So the battle <laughs> at Narcuzzi Mill, what, what is that for folks who haven't read? Oh, it's a civil war reenactment, except it's a reenactment of a battle that never happened. So it's like if you were to if you were to pass my campus and ke keep going down the street called Nar Narcusi, like quite a long way down the street called Narcusi, you end up in a town called Narcusi. And like once a year, they do this thing called the battle at Narcusi meal, where they have people like dress up as part of the Civil War and like set up camps and stuff. And you pay like eight bucks admission and you can go and watch people like pretend like they're in the Civil War and like shoot blanks and muskets at each other and like eat beans over a fire and like drink sarsaparilla and stuff like that but and the so battle thought, never actually happened in the civil war no so it's a it's a civil that's war reenactment insane. that's not a reenact it's like a civil war altered history enactment it's very strange right it's very right. strange i've never actually seen it my only experience has been on youtube i.e home movies of people being but it there. does exist it does exist i mean it does I, actually. yeah it's it is a real thing maybe i'll go next year if i'm still here i'm going this year or next year <laughs> Hopefully you're not going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, like cinema comes up a lot in this talking about teaching cinema, talking, I guess, about how like different like film techniques and then also, you know, how your students or how I guess people nowadays understand things through these like filmic kind of ways. Um, so you talked about the beginning about how, you don't feel like you're the teacher you once were based on media, less on your teaching techniques and how your students interact in a media saturated world in a way that you no longer do. Um, and part of this, you know, I mean, it's called home movies and the cover is an old VHS. Um, I mean, how do you see yourself as someone who is changing, who is getting older and who at the same time, like, is, you know, I guess, enmeshed in old media. Well, I think I'm equally enmeshed in new media and old media. And I think that media is such that, like, the ways that we're affected by it are very, like, sometimes so obvious that they can be kind of hard to see. Like, we can get a sense of, like, how a medium is affecting like a new a new media medium like say like a social media platform or something like that is affecting us and we can get a sense of what that is but because it's happening to you it's really hard to get a sense of like what it's really doing to you or like how entrenched in it you really are because like the further you get into a medium the more of like a bubble it becomes all this to say like i think in some ways the way that i see myself using media is like i think i don't see most of it I think like I can only kind of see parts of it that I see and I typically can be like a little hypercritical of them, but I think it's hard to, to really fathom like how much a media plays a part in like every single moment of our lives. Like look at us right now, right? Like <laughs> the way that we're communicating, it's almost like, it's so obvious we're communicating like this, but it's almost very easy not even to mention that this entire conversation right now is happening through this like new media platform. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think like when I latch on to those little bits of like criticism I have about like my new media usage, I think there's a part of me that maybe romanticizes old tech. Um, but when I, when I, when I, I think make that change over to try to experience those more like nostalgic mediums, 
I'm just finding various forms of what I'm experiencing in, in the new media as well. Just maybe not more loudly, like the same unreality I experience when I'm experiencing new media is I'm also experiencing those unrealities if I'm engaging with them through an older media or technology as well. Mm. So I think in, in part of it, it's like, it seems quaint to maybe like fall into old tech and stuff like that. And it seems a little more comfortable just because of how I grew up and a part of my childhood, there was, you know, some of this old tech, but I've lived most of my life, you know, in deal in, in new media now, you know, and I think, I think most people don't really realize how much of, of their, their life it is. I think I do realize that and it scares me a little bit, but it also like, I, I wrestle with it in the book too. It's like, it does make life worth living too. <laughs> it makes life equally unbearable and equally worth worth living, so, you know, somehow. And I don't want to, there's a part of me that just wants to shit on it and just, you know, do the normal like philosophical text that just talks about how bad <laughs> like mediation is and stuff like that. But I don't, and I do, that is my experience of it sometimes, but my experience of it is also quite positive a lot of the times. And most of my relationships that are meaningful me are facilitated through new media, you know, and, and, and when I have, you know, real experiences with in my house with my kids or, or Amy, a, a lot of it is we are doing something to, we are bound by the TV show we're watching or the song we're listening to or the book I'm reading to them and the discussion we have about that after or something like that. Sure. And so I feel like, I feel like if you're talking about a human being living, living a life, you are talking about technology and media. And there is a part of me that I think also kind of coinciding with, oh, I'm going to write nonfiction, was I became very interested in this subject. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I'm interested in it because it's hard to pull apart within myself. And that's why I'm writing about myself is because I'm writing about media and I'm exhibit A and everyone else is exhibit B and C, <laughs> you know, but, but I think like if you want to look at any criticism of media, you could look at a criticism of myself. <laughs> you know, you, if you want to look at a, a something to hold up and praise about media, then then I can look at myself as well. You know. Hmm. Well, what what's next for you as a writer, and what's next, I guess, for for autofocus as a press? Well, so for autofocus, I'm like I'm very excited about the next few years. Like we made a lot of acquisitions recently. One of them I'm going to tell you when we stop recording, so not a lot to to tell you yet. But I, I think we have some pretty exciting stuff, at least to me, going on over the next few years. Um, so I'm excited to see you know where where that leads for what more we can do, hopefully, if anything. And you're still very passionate about it. You're still very driven. Yeah, I mean, it's part of like, I want to make it more of my life in a weird way. Not like, I can't rely on it financially. I'm not that stupid. But, um, but I want to, I want it to be when I, if, if I move, I want it to be a thing I go there with, this is a big part of my life and not like something I'm fitting into this other life that I have, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, to whatever degree I can do that, or whatever degree I'm privileged enough to do that. Um, but with my with my own stuff, I've kind of started a couple projects um, in the meantime, but they're very in early stages. And, and like I said, they're in the messy document stage where I'm just writing paragraphs um, and thinking. And then I hit enter twice and I just start typing again. 
<laughs> and then I hit enter. And then I just write something else. And I, I keep and and this one of them, it seems in my mind, I see what the book I have a little foresight on how I think the book will go because it's a, the idea is a little more crystallized, but it's not really too specific yet. But I could I could see this one staying close to how it's being composed with like, I don't know, 75% being cut out of it, probably when it's done or whatever. And then, and then another, and then another, when I started kind of over the holidays about watching Christmas movies that I tried to write almost every year and then start and then never complete. But I feel like I, the way I started it, I kind of know what to do with it now. And, and I can be a little, I can work on it a little bit kind of as I'm on the side of working on this other, maybe bigger thing that I feel pretty strongly about. But I'm also kind of like, I'm also kind of like, I mean, this could be another four years and then it turns into some other thing that, you know what I mean? Like it just turns into something way shorter <laughs> that I didn't know what it, that, that I didn't expect it to be, which would be fine. Like that would be fine. I'm just trying to be patient about it, you know? Like, well, that's good. I mean, it's good to think of yourself though as both a publisher and a writer because that's something that, you know, I struggle with sometimes, but you know, it's a, it's a good little book. Well, I think, I think you've helped me. I think you've helped me do that, man. I, th I think, I think it's given me the confidence maybe to believe that that's true. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, obviously I can't thank you enough for taking it on and, and uh, all this work you've done for helping me with the podcast. I mean, you've gone above and beyond <laughs> as a friend or collaborator or publisher. So, and, you know, to do this interview. Um, but yeah, I do. I think, I think it has made me realize that I do have something to offer. I don't, you know, I don't know what those other our projects are, but I do believe that like when I, when I look at home movies, I am proud of it. Like some of that material is old and it's gone through lots of different versions. And like, I still read some of those sentences. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this in five years, but I feel like this was the best I could represent what I was trying to do with literature in this moment, you know? So yeah, that's all you can ask for, you know, from yourself. Yeah. I, I feel good about it, but, um, yeah. Thanks, man. All right. That was Jeff Ellis and Charlie's conversation with me, which is a little excruciating to listen back to. You have to be the person to press publish and put it out into the world, but you know, gotta try to sell this thing to you specifically. So, if you'd like to check out Home Movies from Bunny Press at bunnypress.org, that's press with an E, I know that both Jeff and I would appreciate it. And while you're at it, you can also check out our books over at autofocuslit.com slash books and support us there too. Okay. I'm going to try not to have my voice on this episode any longer. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far. And thanks for listening to the podcast in general.
Alright, I'm gonna go now. That's it. Till next time.